Uh, Pastor, Pastor Jeremiah, Mirday, the kids are, are down in Arizona. Um, he's at uh, First Baptist Bisbee this morning, uh, visiting his old church congregants. I'm sure they're having a great time. They've been spending time with family this last week. So we get to have with us this morning uh, Pastor James Gleason. If you want to come up, James is the executive director of Church Venture Northwest, which our church is a part of. Um, he's also the pastor of special projects at Sunrise uh, up in Hillsborough, the former lead pastor up at Sunrise. Um, I'm hoping he'll tell us what pastor of special projects is. That sounds really intriguing to me. But uh, welcome, James Gleason. Basically, what it means is um, I was a youth pastor four years at the church and then 28 years as, or t 24 years, excuse me, as senior pastor. We hired a brand new guy, brought him in, because I knew it was good to pass the baton at a good age, and I did that, and I just said, hey, I'd like to finish 30 years, so if you'd let me, so I do whatever the pastor, my pastor tells me to do, so I'm the pastor of whatever my pastor wants me to do, um, <laughs> but my full-time job really is at Church Venture Northwest, a conservative Baptist in the Northwest, and it's an honor to be with you. Couple moments here, like we just happened to be sitting over here. We didn't know that was Kara and Kevin's assigned seats. <laughs> Kevin used to work for me at Sunrise. He was our children's pastor, and we, I was, we either we sent him or you stole him. I, I don't remember what the story was, but uh, love Kevin and Kara, my wife Mary Beth here. Uh, we have three sons, and uh, they're all 21, 20, and 19, 18, and we're broke because they're in college. So I'll be taking a special offering for my kids' college education at the door on your way out. Um, but uh, no, I love the church. I love being a part of what God's doing. And the reality is, is that we are thankful for you as a congregation. We have 200, almost 250 churches in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Alaska. And I get the privilege of pastoring pastors and coaching and encouraging. And um, when Jeremiah and I were talking at some point, he said, hey, would you want to come and preach on the worst Sunday of the year for me? Because I'll be gone. I said, I would love that. That would be great. I said, what are you guys talking about? He goes, we're going to go into prayer. I go, I love that. So let me talk about how to pray for you. So we're going to do that. Next week, you happen to get a friend of mine, Steve Van Horn here. You guys know Steve? Uh, Steve and I hang out. He's in Forest Grove. I'm in Hillsboro. 2009, I started hanging out with that guy in Africa, Uganda, Rwanda. Um, I joined him and, and his ministry there as far as like supporting pastors and educating pastors. And he got me on 12 years of training pastors in Africa. So stay away from Steve or he might send you to Uganda or somewhere like that. I don't know, but it's, it was a great time. I loved doing that. Uh, we ended up going finally to Cuba. Uh, the Lord opened the door to Cuba and served a couple years there, uh, raising up some pastors. And it's a good thing when the church serves the church. When your little congregation here, which is not so little, great by the way, uh, gets to see other churches that they're a part of in a family and says, we're going to support, whether it's here, uh, you know, in Oregon or around the world, it's an amazing thing. And so I'm just coming from Sunrise Church, my church, as a pastor, and I want to preach and I want to share God's word. Before that, I want to pray, so let's bow our heads. God, as we think about all that um, we are looking forward to in the new year, uh, prayer is a great thing to look forward to, an active dependence upon your Holy Spirit, the reality that you call us to work and you call us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but it's you really that works in us to do the work, and so we pray for that active dependence on your Holy Spirit and the work of lifting up Jesus Christ into our community. 
We pray, God, that as the year goes by, we will just celebrate with you that more and more people come to faith and see Jesus. Um, We pray, Father, that they are drawn to you because of our love for one another and our love for Christ. We pray in your name. Amen. Uh, Just a couple uh, things to tell you about up front. Um, I... I about, uh, it's probably about 20 years ago now, our church decided to reach out in the community and do some creative things. One of my friends, John, he was working at Forest Grove Pacific University in the physician assistant program. He was leading that. And he said, James, I want to get these students that don't go to church into church. And so we came up with this really weird, crazy idea where these physician assistant students, these young 20-something men and women, would come in and hang out with Sunrise Church people and would interview them and would do like a health survey, about 30 minutes where you ever had like a lifeline screening or whatever, where somebody sits down with you and they said, tell me about all the things that have happened and tell me about your life and your activity and then do the vitals and everything. And we do that and it would take about 30 minutes per person. And then we would have some kind of a potluck. We did it outside with a barbecue and volleyball. We called it history, hearts, and hamburgers. Okay. And it was a lot of fun. And I remember when I was sitting in our, our, our little kitchen there at the church, and this young man was doing all that checkup. He was asking me the questions, writing it all down, you know, getting his work done. And after everything was over, he looked at me and he said, you know, you said you had three children and were young at the time. I said, yeah. He said, do you want to live to see them graduate? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, that's an interesting question. I'm hoping to do that. Yeah. I go, why? He goes, well... You're severely overweight, and your resting heart rate is 80, and you're going to die. I'm like, well, tell me what you really think, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and he said, you really need to change your lifestyle. And so I did. Um, I started walking more. I started running. My wife and I started running. Uh, my, my first thought was I just need a book, so I went to Barnes & Noble and bought a book on how to run. I'm that dumb, and I just bought some shoes and read about running and how to do it, a couch to 5K. Next thing, I'm like, well, I can run three miles without dying. How about a marathon? What's 26.2? It's not that big of a gap, right? So I started that. My wife joined me. We ran several marathons and enjoyed life, and I've run some things, trails and things like that. Along the way, lost 40 pounds. This last summer, we were redoing my life insurance because I'm getting old, and I have three kids in college, in case you didn't hear that. And if I were to die, I wanted to be taken care of. And the gal came into our home, did all the vitals, and she said, you have a resting heart rate of 59. You're going to live forever. I said, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Um, None of us are going to live forever. But the reality was I had to make some changes in my life. I had to attend to my own physical health. I had to look in the mirror and realize that all those cheeseburgers in paradise and, and French fries at Red Robin that are bottomless, those are killing me. And so nowadays, for the most part, I eat a salad. Yesterday, my wife and I went out with the pastor and his wife, and, and I ate a salad. The day before, I went out with my friend John, who we did this History Arts and Hamburger with. He had a burger, a cheeseburger, and fries. And you know what I had? I had a salad. You know what? I still have some weight to lose, but the reality is I want to live to see my grandchildren. I want to live to proclaim Christ into the next generation and beyond. And in order to do that, I have to take responsibility for my own life because nobody is responsible for my weight except myself. Nobody is responsible for my spiritual life except me. I mean, you can blame it on your pastor, but it's really you, you know? 
Nobody can be responsible for reading the Bible daily. I, New Year, January's tomorrow. Pick up a Bible, read it through, read the New Testament. I just finished a one-year reading of the New Testament with my church on Facebook, and we're, you know, people ask questions, I throw commentary, and we talk, and just finished Revelation 22 this morning. You know, it's a good time to pick up a chronological Bible and walk your way through it, because nobody should be reading the Bible for you. You should be doing that. Prayer, I love the fact that you're going into a month on prayer because nobody can be responsible for your prayer life except you. I mean, people can encourage you. The church can put programs together. You could do 24-day things. You could do the prayer wall, which is awesome. But you and you alone need to get up in the morning or take a quiet moment during the day or before you go to bed at night, shut everything else out and say, now is the time I focus on this because it matters, folks. Because imagine if you don't do anything different in the next year, you will be the same. That's the most profound thing I'm going to tell you all day, okay? But if you don't make any change in your prayer life, you won't be different. But you could make a little bit of a change this year. This month, you can start praying. If you don't pray, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you can open up the Bible. You can read a chapter of the New Testament a day, and you get to the end of the book by the end of the year. Or like me, my mom got me on a Bible reading program of reading the Bible every year, Daily Walk. This is my 37th year reading through the Bible. I'll start tomorrow. And I love it. And sometimes I don't. <laughs> but I love it because it changes me, because it draws me closer to God. You know, you need and I need to take serious note of our own health, our physical health, our emotional health. Jesus said what? The most important commandment is loving God with all of our heart, right? All of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. That's an all-encompassing part of who we are. We're to love God with all of that. And then we're to love our neighbor as ourself. Those are ways we can make improvements and grow because we need to take care of our emotional and spiritual and physical and relational health. And it's a necessary part of sharing the gospel and living as an outpost, a lighthouse into a community that needs Christ. When they see us, not perfect, but when we see us pursuing a relationship with God, God will shine through that. Now, I want to talk a little bit about being a pastor, and Pastor Greg's here. Thank you so much. Got to meet Greg uh, 2019, I think it was, and uh, and, and, a, and a, I think we had a burger, if I'm honest. I think I had a burger with you. Yeah, it's Greg's fault. And... Um, and your church was going through some challenges and struggles, and we got to love on, my friend John and I got to love on Greg, and, and um, I just want to tell you that being a pastor is hard work, and it's, um, it's hard on your physical health. Again, um, part of my job is eating. I get paid to go out. I go breakfast, I go lunch, I go dinner, and then I go on the scale the next morning, and I go, my job can kill me sometimes. Uh, being a pastor is hard physically. Um, it can be hard because, you know, you get calls at all hours of the day and the night, and you're on call, and you, you, you're there, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. But it's also hard on your emotional strength. Being a pastor is hard emotionally. It's hard spiritually. Um, believe it or not, the, the ministry of pastoring people, um, let me just be honest, you are beautiful. And I stood there at the door and greeted a lot of you, and I was just amazed at this congregation, the youth and the vigor and the encouragement. But sometimes I'm sure you're a piece of work, right? And you need a lot of pastoring, right? There are times we all have issues. We have struggles. We call the line and we say, I need to talk to my pastor, right? And your pastor, pastors, bear a lot of weight and responsibility of ministry. And I want to talk about today how you can pray for your pastors. 
Now, there's a little handout that I, I put together there for you, and uh, there's seven points that you can fill in the blank. Normally, my sermons are pointless, but today I've got seven, and um, I think you're going to enjoy it because I think the best thing you could do for your pastors going forward in the new year is to pray for them. You know, yeah, you can care for them financially. You can care for them relationally. Those are all important, but the best gift that you can give your pastor, and I believe your church, is if you pray for your pastor. And so I want to talk about that today. I believe that uh, as a pastor leads, so goes a church. And so I want to talk about that. And so, uh, you know, it's not normally the way I do it. I normally go through a passage of scripture and things like that. But I think you can give an incredible gift to your pastor. And I want to share an outline that was shared with me 21, 22 years ago. Uh, I've I changed it and adapted it and use it. I use it in my church. I use it in my job. And I have a simple way of every year setting some goals about this. And I invite people, and I'll tell this to you at the end, I invite people in my church to join my prayer base, to join my prayer team so that they could be praying for me. And I want to talk about how I invite them to pray for me. Because if your pastor is healthy, your church will be healthy. If your pastor is not healthy, your church is going to struggle. And I believe that you deserve a healthy, sold out, spiritually on fire pastor, right? You do. And I love Jeremiah, but you need to support and to pray for both he and Greg. Your prayers matter. So seven ways to pray for your pastor. Hopefully you can take some notes, grab your pen, pencil. Number one, pray for your pastor's protection. I want you to think about this. When you get up in the morning or when you go to bed, when you think through your prayers, maybe one day a week you pray for your pastor, whenever it is, pray for your pastor's protection, specifically from the devil's schemes. We know this. Scripture talks about it. He's crafty. He has schemes. And he wants to destroy the work of God. And one of the biggest ways he does that is to destroy the pastor's work of God in his life. Now, in 1 Chronicles, going to be jumping around a lot. In 1 Chronicles 21, we see this very interesting story, David numbering the people, okay? A little mysterious. Um, I know in the end it was called a sin because he was counting in his own, you know, ability and strength. We get all that. But it seems kind of harsh that his sin resulted in the death of tens of thousands of people. But what that tells me is as a leader goes so goes the people. And a leader has a responsibility to lead well because it will affect the people underneath him or her. Now, it says in uh, uh, 1 Chronicles 21.1, now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. That's really interesting. A couple thoughts. The first one is Satan stood up against Israel. Now, stop and think about that for just a minute. That's an interesting picture. It's a metaphor. Satan took a stand. Satan took a stand against the nation of Israel. Why? Well, they had a great king. God was blessing them. I mean, he had his problems. But they were, they were at the peak of this united monarchy before David would give it over to Solomon, right? And God was doing a great thing. God was blessing Israel. And Satan had enough. Isn't that an interesting thing about this? You guys are doing well at your church. You guys are growing. You guys are reaching your community. Um, again, this is exciting to be in this congregation, to see all ages of people loving Jesus. But Satan doesn't like it. Don't be fooled. Don't be lulled into complacency. There is an enemy of our souls. He's the devil. He's the accuser. And he wants to stop the work of God in this church. And so don't be surprised if Satan takes a stand against your church. 
because he did it against Israel and against David. As a pastor over many, many years, many decades, I will tell you that some of the hardest times we went through as a church were just before incredible times of breakthrough. And I look back knowing that Satan did not want the gospel preached, did not want people saved. And so Satan took action, literally is what it says, against the nation of Israel. And so what did he do? He moved David to sin. Uh, One of the translations said he incited David. He got in there, as Satan does. He was crafty. And all of a sudden, David thought this would be a good idea, even though his advisor said, please don't do that. David's general pushed back and cautioned David about this because he'd be trusting in his own effort. I'm going to tell you a little dirty secret about ministry is that sometime it can be about you. Sometimes, and this is, this is weird, so don't be offended by this. It's not all the time. But sometimes when people stand on a platform 18 inches taller than everyone else and have a really nice pulpit and look at everybody that's looking at them and speaks with authority, Sometimes Satan can use that to twist the heart of a pastor, and it becomes more about them than about a humble, active dependence on the Holy Spirit to do the work. It's, it's something that happens. I believe that if Satan wanted to stop your church, he would start with your pastors. So pray for your pastors. Pray for their protection. Pray for their protection, because I believe Satan goes after leaders. And I also believe that holiness matters. I really do. None of us are sinless, okay? For that, we have Jesus. Um, But I believe that holiness matters. Um, About a year ago, I met with a pastor. Um, He was up from Arizona, someone I knew from the past, and he wanted to go to breakfast, and we went to IHOP. And um, we sat there and had breakfast, and the gal who was waiting on us, filling up the coffee every once in a while, coming on over, I just started a conversation with her, just, you know, ask her a little bit about her life and everything. And after a while, I just said, hey, do you go to church anywhere? She goes, I used to go to church. I go, really? Tell me about it. And then she said these words, I used to go to Sunrise Church. That's my church. And I said, oh, why did you stop going? She goes, well, you know that one pastor who had the affair? I lost heart. I'm like, oh, man. That had happened like five years earlier. Our worship pastor had an affair. Blew up everything. It was almost, it was, I almost resigned from ministry. I was, that exploded in my heart and devastated. There was shrapnel everywhere. You know when the leader falls or when one of the pastors falls, everybody knows about it. And afterwards, I paid the bill and walked the guy out, and I walked back in, and I just said, hey, I want to apologize. I said, I passed her at sunrise, and that happened on my watch. I was his boss, and obviously, we didn't know about it, and we tried to do our best and everything, but I'm really sorry. I said, I'd love for you to try again. I haven't seen her. But you know, when a leader falls, it matters, folks. So pray for your pastor for protection. If your pastor publicly sins, it devastates people. Consequences. I have young people, 20-somethings, that have walked away from the faith because of that man's sin. It matters that your pastor works towards holiness. So pray for the protection of your pastor. Number two, pray for your pastor's people. 
Pray daily for your pastor's family, because if you can't go after him, you'll go after the family, right? Uh, the apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 3, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop or an elder, it's an overseer there, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, not, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. That's a big list right there. That's a lot, right? But look how Paul wraps it up. He says, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. And in parentheses, it says, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? You need to be praying for your pastor's family, your pastor's people, whoever that might be. Uh, pastor's married, pastor's got kids, pray for them. And I believe Satan knows the Bible and he's gonna go after and he knows he's smart and he's crafty and he will attack children. So pray for them. Pray for your pastor's people. Number three, pray for your pastor's preaching. I, I, I've listened to Jeremiah's sermons, they're good. I'm not saying he's not good. I'm just saying that somehow, for some reason, God has chosen your pastor to be the voice of spiritual life in your church. That's just what he does, right? God uses the preaching of his word to change you, to grow you up. So pray for his preaching. I mean, when Pastor Jeremiah comes back and you, know, and you see him, just say, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for your preaching. Now that might throw him a little bit. It's like, why, has it been off? No. Is it bad? No. I just know it's hard work. And I want you filled up with the Holy Spirit when you study and when you deliver God's words. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, this beautiful passage. I read this before every sermon, every time I preach. I just read it over there. I read this because I want to make sure I get my heart right. Paul said this, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And in my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The biblical preaching, the faithful preaching of God's word in pulpits across America is fading, friends. And the Bible and the world begin to separate over seasons. And the way we see God's truth and God's scripture preached and proclaimed is not welcome in some venues, in some avenues, right? In some establishments, in some institutions. If you were to say exactly what the Bible says, many people would not like you. In fact, in many ways, you would be considered someone who hates other people, which is not true at all. But the biblical principles and truth of God's word must be preached if we're ever to disciple people to Jesus and to grow them in their faith. And you need to pray for your pastor's preaching that your faith, his faith would not rest in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, you can listen to a lot of great preaching. I mean, it's amazing. I turn on the radio, I listen to, I still listen to Chuck Swindoll. I was saved at 15 years old. One of my first books was a Chuck Swindoll book. I love Chuck's voice. Anybody listen to Chuck Swindoll? I love it. I listen to John MacArthur. I listen to John MacArthur. Anybody listen to John MacArthur? Listen to John MacArthur. You know, I love Alistair Begg. How can you not love a Scottish voice for crying out loud? He could order off a menu and I'd listen to that. It's like, I love his preaching, okay? I just love it. 
Um, you can listen to podcasts. You can check it out on YouTube. You can do all that stuff. But for some reason, for some reason, God has called your pastor here in this place to preach to you because he knows, God knows, that his voice as a shepherd to your heart will grow you and change you. So I would say pray for his preaching because it's good, but man, it could be on fire, right? And part of that rests in your prayers for him. Number four, pray for your pastor's perception. Um, I believe your pastor needs godly wisdom to have the ability to make the right choices and decisions. Obviously, he doesn't do that in a vacuum. He's got other leaders. That's great. He surrounds himself with leaders. That's really wise. But ultimately, there are some decisions that rest on your lead pastor. And he carries a, a mantle, a burden. It was a year and a half ago, I handed, I passed a baton. Literally, I passed a baton to my new pastor, Paul. And when I passed that baton to him, now, we had two services. I had to do it twice, so I took it back. But when I passed it to him, the weight of the church left me. I, I, I was a youth pastor. I had one little wedge of pie. I could run that thing. We could have budgets. It was great. And then I became senior pastor, and this dump truck backed up and just crushed me with all this stuff. Now I was in charge of the decorative arts committee and the children's ministry and you name it, you know. And it was a lot. And I, the Lord grew my shoulders to handle it. That's great. But there's a burden, there's a weight of ministry that's on your leader, and he feels it. All, all of them do, but he particularly feels it. He needs wisdom. Pray for his perception. Paul writes in Colossians 1, 28 to 29, I love these words. He says, him, Jesus Christ, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, and this is every man and woman, Perfect in Christ Jesus. He says, to this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. He says labor. To this end I labor. Now, um, just, just in case you're curious, I've never had labor. I've never been in labor. I, I, I labor. My wife's been in labor. Um, she's been the one that's carried the kids the whole time, and she gave birth to them. I mean, I, I was part of it, but I mean, she did all the hard work, okay? There's a reason they call it labor, okay? Moms, you've had Children, it's called labor, okay? It's hard work. It's a burden you bear and you give birth to and you carry the responsibility of that. Labor. Paul says, to this end, I labor. I work hard. Paul works hard, striving according to what God is doing to work in him. Pastors make decisions every day, some large, some small. Pray for them. I'm glad uh, Jeremiah's got a vacation. Give some time to be with family, be with his church back there in Bisbee. My wife and I actually hung out with that, uh, that church group. We were down in Arizona doing a pastor's thing and we got to hang out with them and they all spoke well of Jeremiah. But I mean, he has to make decisions. Your leaders make decisions. The finances for the church, right? You know, they, they create budgets and they pray and, and you guys give to the offering and they have to figure out how, how wisely to use that. Uh, activities, what do you decide to do not to do? right, to serve the community, to serve the church, um, leadership, ministry, counseling, time management, all of these are areas where your pastor needs wisdom. Pray for his perception. Um, and I, I believe that his and their ministry decisions are designed to help you grow spiritually. So pray for your pastor's perception. Number five, pray for your pastor's passion. I'm an advocate for this because I know that discouragement and depression affect every person, but there's something about people who are called shepherds, 
who care for other people's souls. They bear a weight that is unbelievable. Uh, Discouragement, depression, emotional exhaustion are incredibly difficult problems in all of ministry. Um, An estimated 1,700 pastors across America leave their role every month. They just give up. They just give up. Uh, Lifeway, a Southern Baptist organization, they did a survey And the pastors in the survey, what they found out was that 53%, just over half of the pastors, were concerned about their family's financial security, if they were going to be able to make it on a pastor's salary. 48%, almost half, said the number one struggle was the demands of ministry, and it was more than they could handle, and they were thinking of checking out. And 21%, almost a fifth, said that the church had unrealistic expectations of them and they wanted to quit. Now, that was all before COVID hit, right? And that was a nightmare. I mean, no matter what your pastor did, you couldn't be pleased, right? I mean, I don't know what it was, but there were some Sundays, this half of the congregation hated me for this decision and the other half hated me for that decision. It felt like it, right? But we're all working together for this. But depression and discouragement are huge in people in ministry. In 2 Corinthians, Paul uh, lists at chapter 11 all the ways he suffered for the the gospel, uh, for the cause of Christ, and it's pretty intense. He said he was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was lashed, uh, he was shipwrecked, he was in danger, he was hungry, he was thirsty, he was freezing from exposure, all those things. But he caps it off with this. He says, add to that, look at this, in 2 Corinthians 11, 28 to 29, besides all those things, those are some pretty serious things, right? Besides these things, what comes upon me daily, what is it? My deep concern for all the churches. Paul carried a weight in his soul for the churches that he had planted and that he was pastoring. He says, who is weak that I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Your pastor is a person, is a human being, and he pastors human beings. And when he pastors, he carries an extra weight on himself. All of your pastors, all of your elders, they do that. They pastor you as people, and they carry a little bit on them. You go and you meet with your pastor. You ask for prayer. Those are wonderful things. But there's a burden your pastor begins to carry, and it's the weight of the church. The weight of your souls is what your pastor carries. And when the people in the church struggle, they struggle because their heart goes out for people. When a a marriage divorces and separates, they die inside because they want nothing more than that for marriage to be saved. When kids go astray, when there are immorality going on, man, your pastor hurts. Every time I ask pastors how to pray for them, the answer is almost always this. Pray that my personal time with God and my family come first. Pray that my personal time with God and my family come first. That's the only way I'll ever have the power to lead other people. And so I caution them this way. I say, don't let the the work of God destroy the work of God in you. Don't let the work of God that you're doing all the days, every day, not just Sunday, right? Some of you know that your pastor doesn't work just on Sunday, right? Okay, so don't let the way you do the work of God destroy the work of God in you. And that happens with a lot of pastors. It happens in seasons. So pray for your pastor. Number six, pray for your pastor's perseverance. Again, ministry is hard work. Uh, It's not just physical. It's emotional and spiritual. Teaching, preaching, counseling, leading, all those things are are heavy 
So pray for your pastor. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. I love this. He says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now that scares me because if the great apostle Paul, the guy who traveled thousands upon thousands, about like 2,500 miles in each of the missionary journeys, mostly by foot, okay? Except that ship thing, that didn't go well, okay? The apostle Paul, the guy that left everything and took other people and discipled and planted churches in just completely brand new areas, if this guy could stand there and say, hey, one of my concerns is I myself get disqualified, then I think every pastor should have a holy fear, a holy fear that they don't disqualify themselves along the journey. Uh, ministry is like a marathon. Um, if you've ever, anybody run a marathon before? Okay, a bunch of fools in the room. Thank you very much. Why did you do it? It sounded fun. Exactly, yes. Bad choice. No, it's a great choice, Okay. <laughs> Um, but you know you hit the wall. There's like a season. It could be mile 14, mile 18, mile 20. You hit this point where you're done, and you have to push through and get your second wind. Ministry is like that. Marriage is like that, right? Can I get an amen? Don't amen. I'm not sure if you should have amened at that because your spouse heard it, but that's okay. You're thinking about other marriages. That's good, right? Okay. Here's the fact. There's a silly bumper sticker, and it's silly. I, I saw it when I was a teenager. Don't drive faster than your guardian angel can fly, okay? Silly. But there's a point to it, because I want to tell you this. I don't have it on a graph that you can see it, but I'll just paint the picture for you. This is called a speed line. This is a speed line. Up and to the right, things go faster. Church gets bigger. Go to a couple services. Hire more pastors. You have a bigger staff. You do a building project. You pay a building project off. You send out more people in missions. You do more service in the community. The speed goes up. And here's what I'll tell you. Your soul at some point reaches a delta where it begins to slow down and drop off. That point is dangerous. And most of us, and I'll say this in pastoral ministry, don't notice when our soul can't keep up with our speed until we get to the point where, and I'll tell you, I don't know why, it doesn't make any sense to me. I've been there, I've been depressed, but I'll tell you what, people just check out and do something foolish to get out of ministry because they can't take the pressure anymore because they're going far faster than their soul can keep up. Pray, pray for your pastor's perseverance. There's an old missionary story, I've heard it over there in Uganda and Rwanda, um, of, of people serving in, in Africa. And um, there was a story that, that missionaries tell of hiring local villagers to, uh, to carry supplies, to porter supplies. Um, the porters um, would go at a slower pace, so the pace of life in, in East Africa, at least I can speak with that, is a lot slower than in America, that's for sure. And after two days, the missionaries were pushing them to go further and further and faster and faster. And on day three, they went twice as far as day two, but on day four, the porters, the workers, they just wouldn't budge, and they just sat there. And the missionaries asked, what's wrong? And the porters said, we can't go any further today. He says, why not? Everybody looks good. He goes, one of the Africans said, we went so quickly yesterday, we must wait here for our soul to catch up with us. 
okay? Sometimes we just have to stop and cease. Cease means Sabbath and rest to allow our soul to catch up with us. We don't want to travel faster than we should. Number seven, this is the final one. Pray for your pastor's priorities. Pray for your pastor's priorities. As a pastor, it's easy to have like chaos reign. I know there's never been a day like this at Twin Rivers, but your pastor walks in and there's a fire over here and a fire over there and a fire, metaphorically speaking, a fire over there and a fire over there. And some days, Greg, tell me, it's like you're just putting out fires, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. That's just what it seems like. And you're like, you know, I had a whole list of things I was supposed to be doing (laughs) and I had to carry water buckets everywhere. Okay, pray for your pastor's priority. It's easy for, I'm gonna say this in love, it's easy for everyone in the church to think the pastor works for them, okay? All right, I'll be done soon. I'll be gone so you can hate me later. But it's everyone thinks this at times. The pastor works for them, I know that. But your pastor works for God, okay? And God alone should set his agenda and his priorities, In Acts 6, I love this. The church was growing, exploding, exploding. Uh, Ministry was happening. People were coming to faith so fast that they couldn't keep up with the needs of the widows. You know the story, right? Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplying, and that's significant multiplying. This is amazing. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, the, the, the Jewish women who were the widows, and the Greek women who were widows, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution of food. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the work of God and serve tables. By the way, not because serving tables is a bad thing. It's an awesome thing. Serving tables is amazing. So don't, don't denigrate serving tables, okay? He says, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And, and I love this. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Your your job description of your pastor is to be in the word, to be able to preach and teach the word of God, to lead you and to feed you, and to be praying for you, to intercede for you, to do that. The needs of the church did not set their agenda. God set the apostles' agenda. They weren't better than anybody else. That's not the truth at all. But the fact is, is they are not your servant, they're God's servant, okay? And they love serving you, but the the reality is this, is that they have to say no to some things or they will just run around saying yes to everything. A friend of mine, Dee, he pastors up in Jefferson and uh, a number of years ago, he and this uh, evangelist, Ed Silvoso, were down in South uh, America and they were, they were preaching in prayer conference. And Dee looked back on the back wall and he said to Ed, uh, who, who has you know, Hispanic language capabilities, he said, Ed, what does it say up on the wall? And so Ed Silvosa looked at Dee and said, it says this, much prayer, much blessing. Little prayer, little blessing. No prayer, no blessing. And Dee brought that back and he said, that's gonna be the mantra for my church. Little Jefferson Baptist Church and nowhere in Jefferson, Oregon, just up the way, has grown to over 2,000 people, a little farming community, because their church has been built on prayer. And their mantra is, they want much prayer because they're greedy for more blessings. I mean, if, if God just said, the more you pray, the more you're going to be blessed, would we go, Man, I don't think I want a lot of blessing, right? Well, no, we want blessing. It's okay to be greedy for blessing if God's offering it, right? But the only way to do that is to have more prayer. How much do you want God to bless your church in the year 2024? 
Honestly, how much? If it's a lot, then you need to be praying a lot. Get on your knees and pray for your church. Pray for your pastors. How much do you want God to bless your pastor? How much do you want God to bless you? Prayer is the answer. The great thing about praying for yourself and your church and your pastor, you can do it anytime. Samuel Chadwick, um, he's an author and minister. He said this, the one concern the devil has is to keep Christians from praying. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. When you read the New Testament, I see that is true. Prayer changes things. Now, here's what I want to give you as an assignment. I'm going to pray, and we'll have a song and be done. Um, I want you to think about this. Hopefully, you got all the blanks filled in. I want you to think about how you could be praying for your pastor, pastors, for Jeremiah and Greg, for those in ministry, elders, deacons, however you have structure there and serving. And would you find a way to form a prayer base, a prayer team? This is how it works at my church. Every year, I give out. Um, well, not anymore because I have a pastor now and I just, I can't do this anymore because it's his job. Um, but I do it with Church Venture Northwest. I just sent out my monthly prayers to my trustees this morning. But I will have a list of people on an email and about every week or so, I would send out, hey, here's my agenda. Here's where I need special prayer. Here's where it's gonna be challenging. Sometimes the name's not included, okay? All right. And then every once in a while, as I'd send those out, something would come up. I'd find out that, hey, I'm going to be sharing the gospel with somebody. Hey, I got a really tough counseling session coming up tonight. And I would just send out a quick prayer. I just copy and paste all the email addresses to say, pray for me, praying for Pastor James, because I've got a tough one tonight. I can't give you any details, but I just want you to pray. I need incredible wisdom tonight. And when I know that 20 or 30 people are praying for me, that gives me so much more confidence going into ministry. So I would say this, if you formed prayer teams based on Pastor Greg and Pastor Jeremiah, they would not say no. Now, they may have to learn how to send that out to you, but one of the best things you could be doing for your church in this year is praying for your pastors. So I'd encourage you to take a list like this, sit them down, say, what's your list? This is kind of a, you know, alliterated outline, you know, alliterated. It's got everything starts with P and all that. That's all fine. Okay, just find out a way that they want you to pray and begin praying for your pastors. Because I believe if you're praying for your pastors, you're praying for your church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the ability to be encouraged and challenged specifically about prayer. We know there's a lot of needs. We could be praying for our missionaries. We could be praying for finances, praying for gospel opportunities. Those are all amazing. But for some reason, you've called pastors to shepherd here at this church who carry an extra special weight and burden and responsibility. And so we want to lift up them. We want to pray for them. I would just love to see Twin Rivers in the next year, have an incredible prayer-based ministry, praying for active dependence on your spirit when it comes to the work of your pastors. I pray your pastors would be filled up and encouraged and running with all strength and running with all energy, Lord, because they will hit the wall. They will run down. They will struggle. The work of the enemy is strong. He's doing a lot of destruction. He steals, kills, and destroys. We see it all the time. But you have come to give life in all its fullness. And so may Twin Rivers experience that life in an ever-increasing abundance this year as prayer begins to permeate and just become the sweet aroma and take over this church, Lord, that this church is a church of prayer. That is what we pray. And it begins with the congregation praying for their pastors. We pray this in your name. Amen.